0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: We probably all had the experience of standing in the middle of a large task, overwhelmed by it suddenly. Whatever it was, you, you started out enthusiastically and you conscientiously applied yourself and you, you kind of gathered the tools, you understood what was going on and head down, you kind of got to it. And then somewhere along the way at the, at the first bit of <coughs> fatigue or confusion or boredom, kind of poke your head up and look around and say, oh my goodness, this is a lot harder than I thought it was, longer than I thought it was going to be, more confusing than I expected. This is like, man, and you begin to think about quitting. And sometimes, unfortunately, the Christian walk of faith can seem like that. You can gather all the resources together. You can hear the book of Colossians taught, explained, preached, exhorted. You got all the details. I, I, I'm supposed to walk in maturity in Christ and set my eyes on things above. And, and I put off the old man that's not me anymore. The old person's not me. And I put on the new person. And if I'm a husband or a wife, I do this or that. at kids, and and like, <clears throat> yes. Let's go. And then Grabbing all that, something happens, and eventually it becomes kind of stressful and a little confusing and hard. You kind of poke your head up and say, Wow. And you kind of think about quitting. Or if not quitting, easing your foot off the gas and just coasting a little bit. Let's just coast. This is the good life given us by God, and and you get that, you want that, you see that, you understand it, but then day after day after day happens, and it gets a little hard to persevere. It's just not in me, you begin to sense. And it isn't. And the good news is, is that it's not supposed to be. You're not meant to find the strength in you And it's right here at this point that we find even more of the goodness of God. That the goodness of God is not only that he saved you and and then put you in a place of being an heir and no longer condemned and he forgave you of your sin and and brought you to life. But the goodness of God also is that then he sees, and that's going to be difficult, so I'm going to help them. It's not just that he, he put you on the path and said, there, you're on a different path. Fortune, you're so fortunate. But then he said, and I'm going to help you walk that path. And he helps us in a lot of, lots of different ways. But what we're going to see this morning is one of the great helps that God gives to help us is us. He gives us us to help us me he gives me not just me but he gives me us a people the body of christ around each individual christian it's actually the same thing that kind of helps us in lots of other overwhelming tasks right other people alongside sometimes to share the work sometimes to maybe like clarify or explain what we're doing or how to do it but sometimes just the simple encouragement of them doing right alongside of me i go to the gym and i run on the treadmill And I, you know, I I punch in whatever speed and I run forever. And then I glance down at the thing and it says one mile. Like, man. (laughs) The sun went down. How did I only go one mile? And then the person who is a total stranger to me steps onto the treadmill right next to me and suddenly I can keep going. I don't know who this person is. They're not running on this treadmill. They're not helping me at all. But yeah, they are. God's designed us to work with people. We often are able to go farther together. And and spiritually speaking, this this walk of faith in Christ, He hasn't just said, There, you Christian, walk it, but it said, and I'm gonna put around you a body to help. That's what we're gonna see this morning in this second to last look at the book of Colossians. We saw two weeks ago that the that the argument of Colossians ends at verse six, where Paul talks to us about calling us into mission and calling us to to be engaged with him in the mission with him, praying for him and and for ourselves that doors would be opened, that we'd have clarity of speech and that we'd take advantage of all the opportunities in front of us. Paul wants us on mission with him, making known the goodness and hope found in Christ. And then with that, that's kind of his ending point, then he moves to close the letter with a typical section of greetings and the mention of different people. Typical for a letter, but in an inspired by God through Paul letter, it's got a purpose. It's got some meaning in it. That's what we're going to look at today. So I'm going to read it, the ending section of Colossians, and then make two observations. This is not the end. We're going to say more in the final sermon next week, but this is, I'm going to read all the way to the end of the book. So this is Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7 to the end. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epiphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Colossians four. I'm going to draw two observations here.'s the first. Observe, kind of in the whole section. God uses the encouragement and I put that in quotes, the encouragement of the body to help us walk in Christ. God uses the encouragement of the body, the body of Christ that is, to help us each, each individual Christian, walk in Christ. Right off, the first thing you notice, you read this section, you hear it read, you see that it mentions a whole bunch of individual people by name, as well as then referring to a couple of different church congregations. And in a way, that's to be expected here at the end of a letter. Whether it's back then or even a modern letter today, it's pretty typical that we, we conclude letters by kind of passing along the news, information about people or situations that we all know in common. So it's pretty easy to just skip over this and to see kind of as idle chit-chat and really kind of stop listening. However, a couple things to notice. <clears throat> this is God's word to us. God inspired this part too, also. So when God inspires something for us through Paul and then preserves it for us to be reading all these centuries later, we should come to it thinking something's here. I'm not sure what it is, but something. I'm looking for some sort, of, some sort of effect from this passage that is going to be useful, that's intended by God to, to impact the church, useful for us. So... I come expectantly wondering, what is it? And then when you look at it again, you notice something. There's nothing here along the lines of Johnny started college and Sally bought a new house, etc. This isn't just the family gossip. Family news so that you know. Paul writes this from God and he has a purpose in it. And his goal always, remember this from cha- in chapter 1, his goal always, whatever he does, is that the church would be matured, that the church would walk in maturity, walk with Christ. And he preached that, and he taught that, and he exhorted that in this letter. And now here at the end, he's doing something in particular. He's, he's laid out the teaching there, and now he's kind of gathering people around the teaching to place them individually around the teaching and then also congregations, groups of people to place them around the teaching. Kind of like a nest that he's building of people who will pack in around this church that's been taught, that'll pack in around it and will reinforce it with their personal contact, with their personal modeling of the information that was just passed on in writing. He's taught it in word, and now they're going to teach it with their lives as he gathers them up and packs them in around. That's what's going on here with the discussion of the people. Let's let's look at how this develops here. Verses 7 to 9, Paul first mentions the two guys that are going to be carrying this letter. He's he's probably got a few other letters in hand for them to other churches. Probably they also brought the letter that we know as, as Philemon. But he's, he's passing this letter to this church with these guys. He's probably in prison in Rome. He's in prison somewhere for the gospel, probably in Rome, doesn't say. So he can't come, so he sends mail carriers. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant, fellow slave, the word there, slave in the Lord. And when he calls him a minister and fellow slave, what he means is that Tychicus is in the ministry with Paul a member of his missionary team. He's he's one of the mission's teams team members. So he's not just carrying the mail. The reason he sent him, he says here, is to report to them, to tell them all that's going on with Paul, all of his activities while he's in chains. How Paul and company, he says, tell you of everything that's taken place here, everything, how we all are. So as, very end of verse 8, to encourage your hearts. So Tychicus is going to not just hand off the letter and then leave. He's going to hand off the letter and then he's going to say, I want to testify to you kind of like this. You know this talk that Paul talks in the letter? He, we, we also walk that walk, even in prison, all of us. Paul is in chains. Aristarchus, verse 10, him too, he's in chains. Me, I'm free. Epiphras, you know him, he's one of you. He's the guy who founded this church and and first preached the gospel to you. He's also free. But whether he, he and I are free, we both are also actually slaves to Christ, that's the same word used there, twice. So these guys are in chains, and we're slaves. It doesn't matter. We're all in bondage to the master, like Paul taught you. And it makes no difference what our ethnic background is. I'm a Gentile, but you know there are other guys on our team who are Jews. You know, Jesus called justice, Mark. They're they're Jewish, we're Gentiles, it doesn't matter because we all together are in this one mission for the sake of the kingdom of God. Like Paul taught you. So we're, we're together here on this mission together, whether slave or free, whether Jew or Gentile, it makes no difference. And here's how it goes for us in Rome, on the front lines, in the center of the world, in front of the Caesar himself. This is a missionary temporarily back from the field reporting about the work, how it's going, and how Paul and others with him are all living out what's been taught. We live on mission as slaves of Christ together, characterized. What's the atmosphere of our team? Well, the often repeated words faithful and beloved, faithful and beloved. Jew and Gentile, slave and free, the atmosphere on our team is faith in Christ, love for the saints, like Paul taught, as we hope in the kingdom that is above. That's what's going on with us. This is the message that Tychicus brings with his mouth and with his life, not just with the letter. He testifies to them. This is not just chit-chat. This is actually a, an encouraging witness about the same message lived out now in front of them, to encourage them. And I put that in quotes, because sometimes we think of the word encourage. If you like kind of just use that word in everyday talk, oftentimes we think just something like pumping up someone's emotions. And it's not not that, but it's more than that. If you think of just the word, encourage, put courage into, which would include pumping up your emotions, but to put courage into is to embolden someone, to strengthen someone, to walk forward into what lies ahead, even if it looks tough, to help them not quit or just coast. This is how we are walking out this life in the face of the greatest possible danger. Some of us are in prison in Rome. This is how we're walking it out. And, and, and feel me, see me, interact with me, and hear me tell about what this is like, this faithful and beloved atmosphere of this team. We are walking this out, and we're alive. I mean, finding life thankful and joyful and thankful and joyful as we give away our lives in the service of King Jesus. We know the communion of the saints and we're alive in it. So the church is supposed to receive this report and hear from him, man, it's not just talk. I mean, it's easy to talk it, but you actually are walking it and I see it in you and I hear the report of of what's going on there. It's It's true and it's possible. It can be done. The gospel's real. The communion of the saints is real. Fellowship with Christ is real. I see that in you, Tychicus, and, man, remarkably, I see that also in this other guy here, Onesimus, which Paul just kind of very cleverly just kind of lays alongside there. And with him, Onesimus, who's one of you. You know who Onesimus was. Shortly here, whenever we finish this, and maybe after the holidays, I'm not sure when, we're going to look at the book of Philemon because it kind of fits with this. Onesimus is almost certainly the man who is the slave who is the subject of the book of Philemon. We find out from that book that he ran away, he escaped from Colossae, and by the providence of God, bumped into Paul in Rome and became a Christian. And has been so transformed by the power of God that he has now taken the tremendous risk of traveling back to the hometown, to the very church where his master, his earthly master is, to make things right with him. What kind of slave does that? One who counts his life is already in bondage to Jesus. Come what may, it doesn't matter. Slave or free, I don't care. I've got to make this right. Here I am. Now, he has a desired goal. I mean, Paul's got a desired goal. He's going, to, he's going to advocate for his freedom, but he can't be certain that's going to happen. But he's gripped by, he's ruled by. I look at Onesimus standing right here, and I realize the gospel's real. And you can find life, and you can give your life away living in the gospel. This guy is living proof of it come to stand in our midst, sent deliberately by Paul, gathered around the truth to show it embodied, not just in writing. So there's another remarkable model in Esmus there. So that's, that's kind of what Paul's getting at with the individual people that he gathers around, but that's the bulk of the section. But he also mentions these couple of other congregations, verses 13 and 15. Touches on some regional churches there that would have been founded by Epaphras. So they would have been known and Paul draws on the benefit here of multiple congregations around others. So not just individual people, but other groups of Christians gathered around also. Gathered around the same Pauline teaching, feeding one another. He says, give my greetings to one another and, and trade with each other the teaching that I give to you. He's got this idea that they're going to, to knit themselves together in some way so that they don't stand alone on an island. Now, these congregations would have been hours and hours apart from each other. You know, it's a a walk, these are the towns. And they didn't have the internet back then. We bump into other Christians in the grocery store and can access Pauline teaching at the click of a button whenever we want. So our sense of isolation is, is very different than theirs. The, the point is not whether this would be easy to accomplish or hard. The point I'm trying to get at here, and this is, this is the, the observation here, that Paul has said, essentially to them, I'm writing you a letter that is inspired. It is the inerrant word of God. Directly from him through my apostolic pen, every word is his word to you. You're going to have it. You're going to read it. You're going to understand it. And that's not enough. That's, that's the simple point right here that we see behind his action of gathering all of these models around and then gathering his other congregations to stand with. What he says is, you're going to have in your hand the explained word of God and that isn't Enough. You need the body also. With that word at the center. Not or, not, not alongside of. The word at the center and the body gathered around it. I'm not talking about both, either or is fine. No, the words at the center and you also need this people that's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm sending somebody to be models to you and why I'm telling you to, to knit up with other Christians. People around who will model it and who will show it and will show you that it can be done and will show you that it can be done with life in it, with joy and thanksgiving. These other people around us, the body around us, it gives us that kind of an encouragement and it gives us Perspective. That we're not just alone, that sometimes that, that's helpful. But it also gives us perspective on the larger work of God, that we're not just the place where God's working, he's working elsewhere. We, didn't we all sense this a few weeks back when we were able to experience on this stage a, a joint worship service with several different Spanish-speaking congregations? I mean, those of us here who are Anglos, we speak English, wasn't it? I heard this from a ton of people, so I know that it was. Wasn't it encouraging? Wasn't it kind of eye opening to realize God's work is bigger than just us? God's work is bigger than just English. God's work is bigger than white people. Huh. Now, who, f- which one of us, like, first just discovered that that day? We all knew that. We all knew it but we experience it in some way. And it, it like kind of opened our eyes in a, in a different way and showed us something and encouraged us and showed us the God that we follow is big. It gives us perspective on, on his work in the world. It also would give us perspective on his work in us because our own blind spots and our own weaknesses are really hard for us to see. And really hard for us to pursue with vigor unless someone comes alongside of us and shines some light on and shows us by their life lived, this is what the Christian life can be. And this is where life in Christ can be found. You walk over here. Hmm. You could walk over here and find this. We sometimes don't know of this if we just compare ourselves to ourselves. We need others for perspective on ourselves and for accountability, which is sometimes a negative word. We need some some system around us, though, that will help us, that will encourage us to press on. Encouragement to walk forward in faith. Maybe accountability put positively. Encouragement to press forward in faith. Gives us help with our our tangible needs, sure, yes. Helps us fight heartache and hardship, yes. Yes. But we need the body all around us. That's why God made the body all around us. If you just stop right there and say, the fact that God made it tells me I need it. You wouldn't you wouldn't even need to see it in in this passage. You could just say there is a body. And that's because hands by themselves die. An eye sitting on the table dies. Need the body. Sure, yeah. God gave this to us. God. Jesus himself, we we sung the song, Man of Sorrows, which gets us in touch with what it was like for Jesus to come and walk as a stranger through the world. By himself, abandoned and rejected. He he knew no communion, and everybody who thought they were in communion with him didn't get him at all, and then abandoned him. Yes, that was for the sake of the cross, for the sake of, of atoning for our sins, but, but also in that, one of, the, one of the, the byproducts produced from that is so that we would not have to walk that walk because we couldn't walk that walk by ourselves like he did. He walked by himself, faithful all through life, so that we wouldn't have to. And that tells us, comma, so that we don't. But instead walk it together with a body. So, how are you doing with that? Thankfully providentially Pastor Jed outlined some of the ways that we try to provide opportunities in this congregation for the body to get real but realize you know we could put those words on the screen we could put community group C's, discipleship, D's and nobody go and it wouldn't matter that we created them. Or we could put them up there and people could go but not engage and it still wouldn't matter. We don't really create community groups and discipleship groups so that we can have groups that are attended and we can say there we've got numbers attending things. We, we create them to provide a little bit of framework f- for you to experience what God knows you need to thrive and to press on forward in the Christian walk. So we don't in any sense say, here, and then try to like berate or, or kind of throw a guilt trip. We just say, here, this is an opportunity, and you need this. To engage with other people. Maybe in a community group, or maybe in a discipleship group. Maybe just with a few other people across coffee that you don't even have a name for. You just meet. But you're together. Together around the teaching of God, around Paul's doctrine. Together around that to encourage, to to put courage into one another, to walk forward into maturity, to give one another perspective on the work of God, perspective on our own blind spots, so that we grow up in Christ and experience the life that he means for us. So ask yourself, is your engagement with the local church here solely or close to solely for the sake of taking in the formal teaching. Sermon. Maybe the life training class. And that's it. You, maybe I poke you a little bit this, but you arrive kind of like at 11.56 or 10.56 because that gives you a few minutes to get settled before the sermon starts. And you race me to the door afterwards. That's it. That's not enough. For you. You you may have gotten everything here that perfectly well explained. Yeah, good. That is that's a necessary start. But it's not enough. You need relationship within the body that is not just, I know your name, we say hello, but, but actually gets you to a spot where I am known and you are known and we are known. You need that. You need to see the Christian life and to show the Christian life, and together to walk forward. You cannot thrive like he wants you to thrive while functionally flying solo. One of the important points that we draw from Paul's practice here of how he gathers around these people, you need the body to walk forward as far as you can with Christ, the one of walking together. One of the ways that builds is what leads me to the second point. One of the ways you can build that leads me to the second point. God uses the prayers of the body to help us walk in Christ. God uses the prayers of the body to help us walk in Christ. So we see how Paul mentions all these people by name. But now additionally, look at what he says about Epiphras. This is verse 12 and following. Chapter 1, we learned that he's the guy who planted the church there. And so in that sense, he was a a faithful laborer and minister for them. But now verse 12, he's an ongoing minister in another sense. What Paul is always living for and teaching for and and preaching and, and exhorting, and if he can't go writing about End of chapter 1, he talks about the maturity. I'm striving, I'm struggling. He uses those words there. I'm exhorting that people would walk mature in Christ. Well, here now, Epiphras prays in the same way for the same thing. He's praying for what Paul's preaching for. So what you see is what Paul preached, these are the guys' model, and now what Paul preached, Epiphras prays. They would stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. That's how he works hard, struggles for them. Praying. And notice what he's praying for. He's not just praying for material needs, not just for physical safety in the face of the Roman Empire, though certainly they prayed for that and needed it, but he's praying for the maturity of, and for the, the confidence, for the God-centered minds of the people that he loves in, back in these cities. He's asking God, God, would you grant them? Would you show them what your will is and root them in it? Remember from chapter 1, we talk about the knowing the will of God. When Paul prayed for that, he doesn't just mean something small like what God wants here in this situation or what God desires between these two choices To know the will of God is another way of saying to know the mind of God. How God thinks about things, how God sees things, what God values, what his perspective is, what he's after, what he pursues, what he wants. So God, would you give to these people? We just told them in writing Now will you give it to them so that it's real in them? Would you plant in them your perspective, your vision, your view, your desires, your goals? Give them your mind. Show your people what you're about. Give them hearts that are mature and call them to walk out in it. This is necessary in addition to the truth being taught. Prayed home. Because if you just stopped here and said, here it's taught, here's a guy living it, modeling it for you, that's, we, if we left it right there, we would still be before the power of God, prior to the power of God. It's not in me. It's not in you to take the teaching of God and live it out well. And it's not in you to take the teaching of God, see how I do it, and copy me. We pray and ask God, would you in power step into the situation and change hearts? Use the teaching and use the modeling. But God, the power must be poured out from you. Change comes from above, maturity is a gift. So we pray for it and ask God to give it, and Paul likewise asks back. He asked the church to pray for him here twice and repeatedly elsewhere. Would you pray? Would you accomplish things for me by asking God to accomplish things for me? We pray for one another, and that's how we grow up in maturity. We pray for one another. So how are you doing with that? Do we pray for one another? Why not? Why do we tend to put more stock in preaching and in modeling? We do. I've noticed this in myself. I'm looking at myself and saying, how much time do I spend looking at this, trying to pray the sermon? And then how much time when I'm praying about it, do I actually pray really for insight into the passage so that I can figure out what to preach. And never actually get to the and Lord for these people by name. Will you take this and change them to be like it? I'm not gonna say never, but I spend a lot more time on this. And I think our church spends a lot more time on the teaching of material and the understanding of the instruction, than we do on the praying at home part. Why do we do that? Assuming we do, why do we spend more time on that? I think it's because this stuff kind of is easier. Praying is hard. Praying is hard because it seems like I pray and nothing happens. I persist in it, and nothing happens. And the more I pray, the more I'm acknowledging that I can't do something. I'm, I'm confessing my insufficiency. That's it's kind of hard for me to swallow. I feel like I should get up and do something. And when I pray and I acknowledge my own insufficiency and nothing happens, then I kind of wonder. I a little bit feared: Is does anything actually work? Is this real? And so I kind of avoid prayer. Or maybe you, you, you don't think like that. Maybe, maybe you, you don't, you, you think differently. You, 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 you do see things happen. You do, you do welcome the opportunity to, to confess your insufficiency because it, it's clear and obvious to you. But you just don't prioritize it. It's as simple as that. That could be too but doesn't that tell us something about our priorities? We prioritize what's of priority. Brothers and sisters, I I think we have to look at this and and ask ourselves a question, and maybe I'm I'm just asking me a question, but I think it's a question for us as a church. I'm not sure we pray like this, As if our maturity and growth and Christ mindedness depends on our praying. I think maybe we spend more time acting as if it depends on our teaching. Me giving it, you receiving it, there we grow. That's not true. pastor the teacher gives it and the church receives it and then the church prays it and God plants it and waters it and causes it to grow we have to pray we get to pray we have to pray the power is not in us to grow us up, it comes from God. So do you pray for maturity? I'm not talking about do we pray for the the health concerns and the travel safeties. Those are good things to pray for also. Do we pray for the maturity of the church, for the perseverance of the church, for yourself and for others? You could start with those right around you, and you could start with the book of Colossians. Let me encourage you, pick, up, pick one passage from this. An easy one would be to pick the, the prayer that Paul wrote out for us in chapter one. Start in verse nine and following. And take the people in your discipleship group and by name, pray those things for them in relation to the, the details and challenges that you see in their lives. So you get around them, first point. And then now you know them and you pray for them, second point. And you pray that they would grow up into understanding what chapter 1 writes about. And then next week, when you pray through the list again, for the wives and the husbands, you pray verses 18 and 19 of chapter 3. For the kids and the parents, you pray 20 and 21, etc. You can just take different passages just from the book of Colossians and the people in your discipleship group or in your family or in your circle of friends and by name... This passage, pray it. And then next week, the next one. And so on. Pray for other things too. Pray for needs, yes. But pray, recognizing this is how I love the body. And this is how Christ loved us. Just before he went to the cross, what did he do for us? He prayed. He prayed not just for for those there present, but for all who would know him, for us. And he prayed a a bunch of things for us. It's called his his final prayers, high priestly prayer. It's called lots of different things, but he prayed. It's a long prayer, but what he prays for is that we would walk in truth, that we would know him, that we would see his glory. He prays for our maturity, our growth. So that we can. So that we can come to this God from whose hand is the power that we need. So that we can come to him and we can call him our Father. And we can ask him, Lord, would you address us, your people, your children? Because Jesus prayed that for us, we can pray. And we need to. And so we should He's gone before us to open up access to our Father, for us as a body together to come into God's presence and say, we need from you power to change us. It's not in us. If we try by ourselves, if I try by myself, I will not persevere. So church, here as we, we come to the end of Colossians, the great danger I, that I'm kind of sensing and trying to push on a little bit here is that this letter, and I'm going to talk about it in summary next week, this letter is an awesome letter. It is full of amazing truth. It has wonderful and, and high and exalted teaching about Jesus. Jesus. It lays out in front of us his gospel, and we can hear it all, and we can say, that is amazing, and that is remarkable, and I want to walk in that. I want to set my eyes on things above. I want to walk into maturity, and we can put our heads down and say, yes, let's get after it. Let's do it. But if we do not do that with the body in prayer, we will not succeed. With, in prayer. And then this letter becomes beautiful because it becomes us. And it gives us life. With, in prayer. Let me pray. Pray with me now. Lord, what you have written to us throughout this book is beautiful. As we've been looking at it, it has become one of my favorite books. But I stand here now and, I, and I, I'm a little concerned, I guess. So God, by your Spirit, please draw near to us and make us uh, renew us as, as a newer and, and tighter us it's going to look different for all of our different lives and we can't all be in the same living room all together but, but would you knit us together in, in appropriate relationships and in connections that are profitable and useful make us an us and please make us an us who praise start with me will you grow us up Give us your mind, move in our hearts so that we value what you value and are not duped by the the false offers of the world. Give us your mind and your eyes to see. Give us your heart, your affections. Set our eyes on things above and call us to follow you as a people together. Do that for us, please, Lord. Thank you for making it possible. Thank you for opening up the way into your presence. Thank you for Jesus. It's him we serve, and from him we find life. In his name I pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah.